Movie Fail Oscarcast for 2015 with myself, Josh Rosenfield, and Soren Howe. We're going to be talking about the 87th Academy Awards and um, <laughs> all the stuff that happened. Uh, not a whole lot, <laughs> but uh, which it's kind I kind of uneventful. Yeah, well, when the, you know, it, it kind of reminded me of 20 was it 2013? Our first Oscarcast, we were talking about the 2012 Oscars, and it was sort of. I remember our comment was generally that it was pretty predictable. Everything we sort of thought would happen happened that year. That yeah. was um, was it Argo and and a bunch of other films, and it just I don't know. It seemed very predictable that year, and I, I feel like this year was pretty similar. And a, and a lot of I mean, there were some surprises, but mostly it was pretty. Yeah, I, I did pretty well in my predictions. I actually only got four uh, incorrect, which is unprecedented for me. So in terms <laughs> of that, it was very predictable. But especially think, as think things got underway, it became very easy to tell. You know. Yeah, who was gonna like win Best Picture and things like that? So, although I was, I thought Boyhood was gonna take it like right up until the end, and we can, well, I, I'll talk about my reasoning for that. But um, I think what separates this year from a year like 2012 is that 2012 actually had some interesting films nominated, and a like it was an interesting crop from what I remember, uh, and that's really not tr- true this year. In I, since the nominations came out, I've just been kind of dreading this ceremony because it, it's just so boring. It, this is this crop of films. Not that I don't like any of the films, cause I do like some of the films quite a bit, but it's just such a boring uh, crop of nominees. I just, well, I think it, it was, uh, I think it's actually a pretty standard mix of um, weird to generic. Like, I think they filled their quota, you know, into like, for example, let's just, well, what's the weird the big, in your opinion? Because best picture is, is considered, you know, it's, it's like the big category, right? So, just going through those, you have I would what I would call the more vanilla pieces, like um, as it, I haven't seen Selma, so let's just just let's just throw that on the table. But I'll throw Selma, Theory of Everything, Imitation Game, maybe even American Sniper is sort of not. There's nothing wrong with them at all necessarily, but just like they're. Um, uh, per se, but this, they're just, they're not uh, unique. I wouldn't call them unique, especially for the Oscars or the kind of films you might expect. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, where I would call, but I would call the other half, Whiplash, Grand Budapest Hotel, Boyhood, and certainly uh, Birdman, which is what won, to be sort of the more oddball. So I think they actually balanced it pretty well this year between Stranger films and um, in terms of, I mean, we know that, and we, like, we're going to talk about this later, I'm sure, but that Birdman, you know, was about show business, so yeah, there was that science, you know, certainly. But it's still, the film is still weirder than an average Oscar winner, I think. I mean, so I, I think guess. That, but I think the I think the Certainly more is, than Argo, which won Best Picture. Sure. Yeah, more than, I mean, okay. Yeah. And Argo, Argo, if it's the same category, but is, I think, complete opposite of an oddball film. It's exactly <laughs> what you would expect to be, you know, at least nominated that year. Well, I, my problem with calling Birdman a weird movie, or even a weird, like, for best picture, is that aside from the just that single aesthetic choice, it's a pretty, you know, conventional film about show business. And it's you very clear why the Academy liked this film about show business. And you could tell right from the opening uh, uh, musical number when Jack Black comes on stage and starts uh, singing about how superhero movies are ruining everything. That should have been the first sign for everyone that Birdman was going to dominate the night. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, like I said, I called it very early on. That's why I'm so surprised that you were so convinced that it would lose. 
We, it, that was just history for me. It was just the past two years we've had the kind of mm. uh, more aesthetically out there film taking best director and then the more conventional Oscar choice taking best picture. And there's been a split. So that's what I thought was going to happen with Boy, uh, Birdman and, and Boyhood. Right, right. So I was genuinely surprised that Birdman took best picture. But the, yeah, thinking about it, I, I, I totally understand why the Academy shows it. I would I would say on a scale from Argo to adaptation in terms of films about show business and like uh, Vanilla to Oddball, Oddball obviously being adaptation and um, uh, Vanilla being Argo. I would say I wouldn't put Birdman next to adaptation, but I'd put it on that side of the spectrum. I think it's a little bit stranger yeah. than than you're giving <laughs> credit for. It's I mean, more yeah, esoteric it's, and weird. It's than, certainly stranger than a traditional. Uh, Best Picture nominee, um, especially oh, the yeah. past couple years. Although I will say that we're I never going to get we're never going to get the really strange films, uh, you know, nominated. I think. So. Well, we used to. I, I I don't remember if I was the night of the ceremony or a couple days after. But if you look at the Best Picture nominees from like the late '90s, early 2000s, there's some like genuinely weird, cool choices in there. Did you know the the Sixth Sense was nominated for Best Picture? Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I did know that. I know, yeah, but. It, you wouldn't think that, right? Just knowing how the sixth sense is. That is true. It's that place is true. in I pop might culture not right it. now. But I also and don't even like that movie all that much. <laughs> Maybe that's do, part yeah, of why I, I don't. But yeah, but you, they used to kind of go with more, uh, at least in that time period, choices that were a little kind of outside their comfort zone. I mean, all the Lord of the Rings films got nominated for Best Picture. That would never happen in this current just uh, Hollywood climate, I don't think. You know, it's not like, like what are the what are the comparable films today, if there even are any? Well, it's, no, I think you know, I think people have pointed out there's something interesting about uh, that. It, it's um, well, we're still getting sci-fi films nominated, which is a little odd to me. Like they're still getting they're they're not making it, but they're getting nominated, like Interstellar. The, oh uh, yeah. Oh wait, was that? Yeah, well, that Interstellar in, t- in technical categories, but not. Oh, in those like, in technical categories, but not in best. Oh wait, it wasn't nominated for best. Um, well, Gravity was obviously last year. Yeah. Exactly. Um, D- D- District 9 was. District uh, 9. Yeah, I mean, it happens on occasion. choice in Oscar history. <laughs> I don't... It'll be a big day when a, when a, a you know, a comic book movie is nominated. But my question is this. When it comes to comic book movies, and since you brought up superhero shaming and a good chunk of this ceremony was spent on that, <laughs> um, it's... I don't know how good comic book movies need to be to get nominated at this point. I mean, on, honestly, I don't know what they want. Like, if you want dark and gritty and realistic, like, not that I, I don't like The Dark Knight all that much, as I've said a thousand million times, but, you know, that happened. And it didn't have a real shot at the at Best Picture. Um, well, they expanded the category because of that film. That's the weird thing, is that that film is kind of infamously, at least it's popularly assumed, but I think it's a, Probably uh, it's probably on the money that the Dark Knight not being nominated for Best Picture and the subsequent uh, rush of think pieces about that is the reason that they decided to expand so that they could let in. And if you look at the first year where they expanded, you have stuff like you know District Nine and Up and yeah, these but, films. But, but that... I would argue I would argue that the oh, the expansion doesn't do anything. The expansion basically gives them the right to nominate a bunch of things to sort of give them their, like, pittance and tell them to go away. And so I think every year there's, like, 
the lower tier and the upper tier. Like the, sh- the movies that have an actual shot at winning and the movies that they nominated because they had to fill out nine cat, you know, nine nominees. Or whatever. Well, that's the weird thing about this year is because I feel like all of the films nominated for Best Picture this year um, in any other year could conceivably take it. They are all very strong traditional candidates. And I, th- I think actually the funny thing is of these eight, uh, Birdman is the least likely, if you just put it uh, in any other year, to win, and it actually won against all the more traditional nominees, which maybe is a statement on the Academy's part, but I just, I can't shake the feeling that it's the showbiz stuff that really drew them to that film. Oh, I'm sure that's that's why it won. I, I mean, it has to be. I, I don't have a... Yeah, I don't I don't have any compunction. Like, I, I completely understand why. I'm glad it... I'm, you know, again, we'll, we'll talk about <laughs> our feelings on it, but I, I'm, I'm glad it won... Um, but not for the reasons that the Academy probably voted for it. <laughs> Just to be clear, it's not, I don't, I don't like it because uh, it's about show business per se. I mean, I like it for other reasons. Uh, and we, um, we talked about that in our, our review, um, which we'll, we'll link. So people can feel free to listen to that and get a more in-depth take on the film, but um, from both of us, but uh, I, uh, yeah, so my reasons, but I, I don't think in that discussion at any point I ever said, it's about show business, and that's why I like it. <laughs> it's certainly not. <laughs> um, but I think that was the uh, the perspective of certainly a lot of Academy folks. Um, I think it appealed to, I mean, it was really a smorgasbord of all the things that would appeal to the Academy, right? So it had, it, it was about acting, it was about actors, so it had this whole... Um, about uh, how great actors are. Right, well, I mean, it focuses on an actor as a as a main character, and it sort of... Uh, shows their idiosyncrasies, but not in necessarily a negative way for the most part. It's sort of a, um, it's like, haha, aren't a- actors quirky? So it's kind of <laughs> like a lighthearted, nice thing. And, and it slammed critics, so there was that whole, there was that whole bit. Um, then on the technical side, of course, every technical person probably saw it and went, oh, it's so cool how they, you know, even though it, they probably knew how it was done, they, they were like, oh, it, you know, it feels like one takes. That's really awesome. So it appealed to the technical crowd. And it was like, had severe, you know, authorship from uh in your so there was that element that probably appealed to directors and filmmakers so they were like you know it appealed it was the, it was exactly the film that had to win if it was gonna if that was gonna be the criterion for winning then this was it yeah um, absolutely um, it just it, it ticked off every box yeah so <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes me wonder if plus I, a I white male protagonist so there's there's that too well yeah it's well white everybody you want to yeah. launch into that one um this has been talked to death uh, by by people other than us, but this is a very white <laughs> year for the for the Oscars. A very white ceremony to begin with. Um, I think it was Spike Lee who said, "I don't I don't want to misattribute, but I think it was I think it was Spike Lee who said uh, something this year about how like they 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 did their black nominees last year. You know, yeah, they gave course. the award to Twelve Years a Slave, so they don't feel like they need to." pay attention to any black nominees for another couple of years until like it comes around again. <laughs> yeah. I think that's exactly. <laughs> and I just thought it was the most cynical, but probably accurate way of looking at the situation. Yeah. I, um, I think that's, you know, it, uh, there might be something to be, I wonder how many like we're not racist movies that the Academy has, has awarded have been about slavery. Um, yes. And that's, I think that would be an interesting thing. thing to look at. That's because the other thing is that that people have pointed out that films that the uh, uh, that the Academy tends to like are not films that the generation who because it's you know the generation that 
in other words, they believe that <laughs> Selma, for example, was not would not jive with them because it's about something that was in their <laughs> for a lot of them in their lifetime. Um, we know this for a fact because they literally in interviews some of the Academy members <laughs> in the with Scott Feinberg have talked about they're like I was there in the sixties and Selma just didn't capture it, you know, or whatever. Um, whatever they're saying. But it's that uncomfortableness. It's too it's too close to them and they feel like you know, like, you know, we're all for being against slavery because that was so long ago and nobody remembers it and we can all point at it and say it was evil. But we don't want to talk about civil rights because that was too relevant and too close, you know, too recent, um, which is just, I mean, stunning in a thousand different ways. And I think that's really the problem is that, you know, they're comfortable with nominating things that are like very old, <laughs> that like deal with like black issues as long as they're not implicated in any way. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. So it's a maybe the thing is it, I don't want to and and Selma I mean I, the, one of the big reasons people were so like energized by Selma is that it, the trailer I remember when the I saw the trailer for it in uh, in the cinema I'm, I'm I was sitting there actually with my mother and uh, we're sitting there watching this trailer and we hadn't heard anything about Selma and it starts playing and uh, we had just heard about the Eric Garner case and a couple of the other uh, big cases. And as they're talking, like, the quotes they used for the trailer were probably intentionally, you know, building off of current news. But the trailer had to be cut at some point, you know? So it was just so weird because it seemed exactly the same, but it's about King. And so (laughs) I think that's also part of it, is that not only is it about something that happened 50 years ago, but it's still relevant, and I think that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Well, I mean, yeah. Although they, um... It seems so condescending to me that... The only award they gave it is for the song. You know what yeah. I mean? And, uh, you know, props to the song. They got to, we got to hear uh, Common. And it was the best performance of the night by far. Yeah, Common talking about Ferguson on stage in the song and then uh, I think pretty sure in, in the speech, uh, fan, fantastic speech. I don't know if he talked about Ferguson per se. I think he talked more about They might have just talked stuff. about it in general, but yeah. It, 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 Ferguson is, is mentioned in the song for sure. And it just, it bothers me on a really, like, on a level that's hard to describe because it just seems so, so tossed off, you know, by the Academy, like, all right, like a, like a pity award. All right, we'll give your, give it to your stupid song and, and that's it. And we'll... Well, little did they know that was going to be like a mouthpiece and the... (laughs) Yeah. Like, I think they probably made some, one of the biggest impacts in that show because by being nominated in that category, they got to do a performance. And the people who spoke, John Legend and Common, got to really, you know, <laughs> lay, lay into the the white power structure. So I was just, it was, I think, while it, maybe the Academy was like, hey, we'll just give them, like, this throwaway award. Out of all the awards, it's it carries with it extra things like the performance, which is not, like, for example, if... um. Uh, uh, you know, if you get a best director nomination, or if you get a best lead actor, or lead actress, or whatever nomination, yeah, you get to speak, but that's it. So in this case, they actually got more than that. And again, I don't know that the Academy was like, "We're going to give them that." I think it was a, you know, again, and also, you know, we also talk about the Academy like it's this entity, this like hive mind, and I don't know that that's necessarily true. Like, just no. to be clear, I mean, it's a what it is is a pervasive attitude, which I think. People are like, you know, the Academy needs to become more diverse because it's, 
you know, it's this, you know, this culture of old white dudes, you know, and, and it's, you know, that's a problem. And I, and I agree with that. It should become more diverse. I, I agree with all those things, but that's not the problem. The problem is that they represent, I would argue, a, a more pervasive thought pattern in America in general. And yeah, so it's absolutely. not really, you know what I mean? I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily them. I think they are part of a, a much bigger picture yeah. and simply changing the academy won't won't change what the actual problem is. That's true. And I mean, ultimately what it, what it all comes down to, what every single conversation about the Oscars should be prefaced with is we can try to, you know, psychoanalyze the meaning behind which awards won and which were nominated and which weren't. But the only reason that a film gets nominated and wins or doesn't is how much money was spent on its for your consideration campaign. That's it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the only, you know, I, I keep seeing these articles like, Oh, why didn't uh, why didn't uh, the Babadook get nominated for anything? Why didn't uh, well, because because no one in in the Academy has even heard of that movie because it didn't get sent as a screener. It exactly. wasn't on billboards all over the place. It, it, I, what bothers me more than anything about the Academy is it's this group of people who it really doesn't seem like they will ever step outside of uh, this kind of bubble of films that are literally shoved Thrown in their in face. The face yeah. <laughs> like literally mailed to them, and part of it, part of it, you have to like, you know, I, I'm, I'm of two minds on that because if you live in Hollywood, you are uh, that's all you see is constant ads and constant, you know, you're, you're constantly inundated with all of that material. So unless somebody really makes it, puts it in your face, how are you going to see it? You know, where, where, when we're around the country, you know, staff of movie fails all, you know, around the world and around the country, they have to seek out films, you know, through blogs, through whatever. So we're, we're learning about films from all over the place. You just walk down the street in LA or, or New York or any major city, you're just getting thr- like, it's just being pumped into your face. So you're probably sick of it or, you know, desensitized to it or whatever. So even if you saw an ad at some point for, you know, um, Nightcrawler or something, that doesn't mean you're going to seek it out. You have to really be, so I, I so it's, I, in other words, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say it's, I, I think if you're voting, you really should. Like, I abstain from categories I don't know anything about. I don't want to, you know, if I don't know, like, for example, the live action shorts, I just, I didn't know them. So I wasn't going <laughs> to, when I was, like, predicting or, like, putting my quote-unquote vote in um, on, you know, some Reddit, uh, our movies, I think, had, a, had like, a, a voting thing. I just didn't vote in those categories. It's a waste of my, like, I, I'm not going to throw away. But in this case, they literally are voting in categories where they've seen one of, like, five films. And I think that's that's stupid. But I don't blame them for not having seen it. Um, and I do think the campaign matters, but it's not because they're like, I won't watch these movies. I think they're literally just saturated with films constantly. So that's why people have to elbow their way in to be like, no, 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 you should look at this movie and then vote for it. Well, I think that the saturation is exactly the problem, though. I think that because of that saturation, they only pay attention to the movies that... Uh, the brightest colors. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it, they only pay attention to the movies that kind of demand to be paid attention to. Exactly. Uh, which, if you look at um, this list of Best Picture nominees, this has to be, you know, I, you can just imagine, Whiplash is really the only surprise in that area, because I... I, I don't know how they swung that. Right, yeah. I, I You can't imagine that it had that much money for a four-year consideration campaign. It wasn't, it was a popular movie, but it wasn't a big deal uh, when it was released, and not only was it nominated for Best Picture, it won a ton of awards, like a surprising really number of awards, uh, which I'm happy for because I really like Whiplash. 
but it's that's like the big surprise of the night for me is Whiplash's popularity because that's probably just the exception to the rule uh, that I was talking about because like where did that where did they see that movie? <laughs> I don't I really don't understand that. I think I think part of the other thing we're not giving credit for is um not that every member of the academy gets together and like have parties together, but they kind of do. <laughs> so so you know, you have to imagine that you know, word of mouth is a huge thing too and if you want to be a socialite and like be in the know, it's not that you're going to that first person or that first group of 10 people who saw the movie probably needed to be persuaded because of ads and stuff. But a lot of them, you know, like Whiplash or certain movies that pick up steam by word of mouth probably also have an impact on it. So the first group of people probably had to see it through advertising. But from there, it's like, well, if I want to be in on the conversation, we all have to – and we're all talking about Birdman. I have to go see Birdman so that I can talk about these things. Well, the other th- weird thing so is I think that... that's part of it. And you can see how each one of these films, if they didn't have an ad campaign that was as strong as the other ones, they certainly had the uh, like word of mouth factor. I mean, I hear t- people talking about Whiplash – in the lab I work in, you know what I mean? <laughs> or like or from in other labs, people are like, oh, did you see Whiplash? Yeah, yeah. What's that about? Yeah, I've heard about that. What is that? <laughs> Meanwhile, no one's heard of Birdman. <laughs> so, Well, the weird thing in that case is that, obviously, I think, that, I'm pretty sure this is how it works. In order to get nominated for Best Picture, you have to have a certain number of, uh, number one votes. Like, in, term, in terms of the nominations, you have to have been ranked number one by a certain percentage of voters. So, Whiplash got enough it was enough uh, Academy voters' favorite film of the year to get into that category, How which I think I think honestly, and you know, never to say that the Oscars are about quality, but I do think it speaks to the quality of the film that it can just once you see it, it just it grabs you like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I, I uh, just to put this on the table, out of all of out of all the Best Picture nominees, that was my favorite of the year. Um. It was yeah, it was my second favorite behind Selma, but it's but yeah. and Selma's the one I haven't seen, so that makes sense. <laughs> I really like Whiplash. Whiplash is really, I mean, it, I certainly I had it ahead of uh, Birdman by just I think it literally was one spot ahead on my list from 2014 um, uh, of Birdman, but uh, but I was I mean I was content with Birdman winning. I was just really glad, you know, and we'll get to my one big upset of the night. It was really only one. Um, because I, I came out really happy. I was, as you know, I've been campaigning for a while now to like, make sure that boyhood just did not do well at the Oscars. And I like to think, I like to think that my tweets, uh, held weight, you know, because clearly, (laughs) but uh, no, but I mean, it really, it it just sank. It just did not do well. Yeah. I Um, mean, there has been, I feel like a, and you, you've probably seen this too. There's been a definite like, uh, campaign on the part of someone to sink boyhood ever since the nominations came out. There was an article, uh, apparently, recently, which literally compared it to Birth of a Nation. (laughs) Like, that's not... Like, someone... Someone in Hollywood did not want that movie to uh, succeed. Someone was out for blood, and it worked, clearly. Um, That is really, really funny, because, I mean, honestly... I, my feelings on I've written about Boyhood. I, I wrote a review. Feel free to go read that. But Boyhood, um, <laughs> it was it's one of those movies. It's sort of like we were talking about Stan Brackage before, right? The experimental animator. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he he's the one who did the was it Don, Dante's the Dante Quartet. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah. And then he died because the paint he was using for those 
<laughs> had lead in it or something, and he just I, died. I, I, I love Stan Brackage. So tragic. <laughs> right, okay, so you're right. So you love, you love that. To me, Dante Quartet, which is just a, seri- a series of, like, uh, paintings, you know, in succession, which I guess is really any animated film, but they're just, like, abstract paintings sort of conveying emotion or the seven circles of hell or whatever you want to look at it as. Um, or his, you know, experiments in wax or, like, whatever. To me those are cool experiments and I don't really have anything against them per se. I'm glad they, somebody did them, you know, but I wouldn't nominate it for best picture. <laughs> and to me, that, that's what boyhood is. Like, I don't, I don't have a vendetta against it. It's not birth of a nation. It's just a cool experiment. I'm glad he did it. I, uh, I'm curious to see what he does next because I like Richard Linklater. I think he has a lot of cool ideas, a lot of potential, uh, and he's done cool things in the past and will continue to do cool things in the future. I would consider this more in the experimental, interesting one-off sort of realm than the, like, 99% best thing I ever saw, Rotten Tomatoes consensus. That And that's really my only bone to pick with it, which is, like, like temper your, you know, mm. temper your enthusiasm. You know what's bit. weird That is, was me. I feel like we are I wasn't both... trying to do a hit on the movie. Yeah. Well, the problem with a film like Boyhood is that, you know, I'm a person who likes Boyhood, thinks there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of uh, stuff to mine in it. Uh, and you're a person who doesn't like it very much, res- uh, you know, like you just said, respects the attempt. But in conversation, not just with each other, but uh, with other people, I feel like we're forced to take the extreme stance because <laughs> yeah. the reactions are so insanely polarized. Yep. Like, I feel just compelled to defend boyhood from uh, from people who, like, actively loathe it because I feel like, you know, I don't... Boyhood's not the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life, but I feel like there is, and you, we've talked about this at length. There is, there, there is good <laughs> to be found in Boyhood, and I, oh, think, I agree. I, do, I think I, that I, it's I just a reaction agree. to more than anything the, the scale of the production. These people, you know, I don't, I don't think that's the reaction. I think the reaction is the it's the unbridled praise, and I really, honestly, maybe we could talk about this at some point in the future. But honestly, my feeling was simply that I couldn't find, you know, I got into that argument with that guy. Do you remember that on Twitter? They, uh, um, I'm not the, sure. The guy, the, that conversation me. that went on for like nine hours about um, <laughs> Marxist critique. of. Oh, that's of right. Do you remember that? <laughs> it was so, he blocked us. Or he blocked you. I don't know if he blocked me. He definitely anyway. blocked me, yeah. <laughs> that was one of the funniest but also longest and most strangest conversations I've ever had about both criticism and specifically boyhood for some reason. Anyway, but um, it's just that even reading the things he was linking to and they're like, well, you know, fairly well-known critics and I'm reading the reviews and stuff. I just, I haven't found a compelling like answer on why people think it's so great beyond the, it was filmed over 20, 12 years. Isn't that amazing? They grew up on screen and like, for some people, that's, I guess, enough. To me, that's not compelling. I don't find the novelty of the the, the device Well, I don't particularly enough. either. That's the thing. I did not have the transcendent experience, the life-changing experience that many people did. Honestly, the, uh, the on-screen aging... I've now seen the film three times, and it still wow. has no impact on me. <laughs> um, it, it just, it's fine. But I do think that there is, the way that the film is, is structured, uh, it, the way that it kind of, what it has to say about, not uh, time, I don't think, but memory, 
is is really fascinating in the way it's it's put together to kind of resemble these. Uh, <laughs> I remember a while ago I compared it to La Jete, which is all about this guy who be, he can be sent uh, into the past because he has this strong uh, one of my image. Yeah, one of my favorites too. Uh, this strong, like, mental image memory from when he was a kid, and it is so powerfully, like, connected to him that he is able to be sent back in time because of that. And that's, you know, I, I feel like that's in Boyhood a lot, because Boyhood also has these very, very uh, powerful, striking images, and they can, you know, there's stuff like the uh, mom crying on the floor of the garage, and then there's stuff like when he's a kid and he's looking at the d- uh, body of the dead bird. It's just... This idea of uh, stuff that sticks with you, and you can't really pick the moments that will stick with you, um, but... Yeah, I mean, I I found, like, one or two of those. Part of it is that I really was... uh, And one of the things about Boy, and maybe this speaks to the film, I I don't know, but, you know, like, why did I... Why did... um, Aside from the acting quality, which I think is also a huge part of it. Like, I, I was not a fan of Patricia Arquette in the beginning. I thought she improved greatly throughout the film. Um, but she also has improved as an actress in general. So I like, of course she improved because she got older and she was better as an older actress. But anyway, but, um, why I, I, I was so attached to Ethan Hawke, who, by the way, I would have been jazzed if he had won, uh, this year. Um, because he was, I mean, it was, it was good competition and stuff, but I, I think that Ethan Hawke really was a, a huge bright spot in that film. He's the thing I praise the most in the movie. Hmm. Um, but what, the other thing I think I connected to with him though, is, you know, in some ways, I saw, par- I wouldn't call them parallels with, like, my dad, but just, like, almost an alternate reality of my own dad and just the, you know, the aging and how, you know, people get married when they're young, but they sort of change as they get older and they get remarried or they get divorced or whatever the situation is. And I didn't connect at all with L.R. Coltrane or his life or with his mother or with his girlfriend or... And and so I think that's part of it is that maybe I just connect like and the one thing that I really the one scene you were talking about scenes that you remember the only thing I remember in that movie really vividly is um, the scene where uh, they're in their room and um, Patricia Arquette and Ethan Hawke are arguing outside and I talked about this in my review specifically maybe that's why I remember it <laughs> um, but they're talking outside and you can hear them yelling at each other but it's just out of earshot and yeah. to me that was a very personal scene because I've been in that situation as a kid. Um, and, and, you know, as I was growing up, that was a common uh, occurrence. So maybe it's just that I didn't connect with the film on the other, like the rest of it was like, I, I can't, I don't know any, none of this is familiar to me. So maybe that's why, and it's not a question of quality, but I then fall back on, well, I still can objectively say, or not object, it's subjective, but I think subjectively, I can also observe that I preferred Ethan Hawke's acting. I preferred, you know, I wasn't a big fan of Patricia Arquette in the beginning. I did not like L.R. Coltrane's performances for the most part. And so, like, I think that that also plays into it. And I also think that, for example, the editing and things like that uh, were not, you know, the technical aspects weren't that compelling to me. Like, I don't, I think it's not a terribly well-edited film. So I think there's more to it than just I didn't connect with the story. But, um, like, I felt like I was the target audience. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was the target audience, and yet it didn't work. I disagree. I think the target audience is, like, middle-aged people who want to remember this time of their lives. You know what I mean? Like, I, I didn't have... I didn't find any of myself in Mason's story either. Uh, and, you know, maybe I'll revisit it in, in 20 years and 
have a completely different outlook on it. But just mm. you know, having just a couple years ago exited this this phase of my life. Well, yeah, it could be for for middle aged people, especially parents who have had to send their kids off or something like that. But I mean, like for example, I mean, I said this, I've said this before, but uh, did you see the movie Enough Said? Yes, I really like that film. Yeah, I do too. I think it's wonderful. But the scene where uh, Julie, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus has to give her, you know, send her kid off with her ex-husband in the airport. Uh, it's like the, yeah, it's, I don't know if it's the finale of the film, but it's like a big moment. Or oh, it's not with her ex-husband. Maybe it's with James Gandolfini's character. I don't think oh, so. I can't remember. But anyway, yeah. the moment is so, first of all, in every way is she a better actor than Patricia Arquette, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. that's a side point. In that moment, uh, that and it's not the focus of the whole film. The film is about a lot of different things, enough said. Um, but I think she, like that moment is is that whole last scene in uh, Boyhood, which was like way better. So like I felt like I'd already seen, like I think other movies, not just enough said, plenty of other movies, have dealt with this before. Toy Story 3. Toy Story 3, or the Toy Story series, not that it's doing the same 12-year thing, and I think that is unique to this film. I just want to be clear there. I'm not saying it copied that. But, like, what it does offer, I think other films have offered before in terms of that sort of thematic thing to me. I think Toy Story, for example, captures that whole arc of, like, growing up and childhood and then maturity and sending your kid off to college and, you know, letting go of your past, moving on, growing up. Yeah, I find it more compelling. And again, that's that's also just not what I find compelling about Boyhood either. <laughs> um, but so that's the problem I think with both of our opinions on Boyhood is that we like it and dislike it for reasons I think entirely separate from the reasons that uh, the majority and or minority like it and dislike it, which <laughs> makes it hard to have conversations about. It. <laughs> so speaking of the, um, the acting categories, how did you feel about those this year? The acting categories. Um, it was a weird mix. I mean, I had my own picks for everyone. Okay, so one thing I want to point out, I don't predict Oscars. I predicted mid-Oscars. Like, I was like, oh, Birdman's going to win because they're doing <laughs> Birdman stuff. Like, I knew that. But I didn't – I don't predict the Oscars. I think it's a total, total waste of time. Not to – if you – everyone wants – everyone else wants to do it, it's kind of fun to, like, guess. See how no, well it's you fun. Know the I, think it's, I think it's fun. Um, I just – but in terms of, like, I don't find – under like getting into the mind of an academy member interesting at all is <laughs> yeah, a no. vapid thing to do so yeah. like i don't care so what i will do is pick who i would like to win and because i think that's valuable because you'd be like all right of the terrible nominees you made you picked i'll pick these this person um and it's not always terrible but like for example why did benedict cumberbatch get nominated for the imitation game it's just yeah, because it was nominated for best picture that was that one it? of many like it felt like they had to fill a fifth slot <laughs> um yeah and yet and yet, there was always that like trepidation that like he might actually win. Oh my god! You know, and I don't really think against Benedict Cumberbatch per se. He's not my favorite actor, but he's he's fine. He's, and he seems like a perfectly lovely person and, and whatnot. But uh, I don't. Why? Of all the things to nominate, why him in the Imitation Game? I don't know. I think the, there's the the just the basic biopic like struggling. Um, the story about a struggling person. That's going to inherently please the Academy. Yeah. Um, unless they're black. So, uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. So, so uh, we can I, I, we could probably agree that I didn't see Two Days One Night, I want to confess that. Yeah, neither um, did I. I, re- I regret missing it. I, I do, too, because I like Marion Cotillard. But I, I still would be hard-pressed to find a better performance than Rosamund Pike in 
Gone Girl. Yeah, I, so. I actually didn't see. I only saw Gone Girl and Theory of Everything of the Best Actress nominees, so I can't say. And I, you know, Felicity Jones is is perfectly fine in the Theory of Everything, but yeah, Rosamund Pike is just She's next just level. Amazing, yeah, yeah, really amazing. Having said that, I love Julianne Moore, and I think yeah. that you know every Oscar, you know, or nod or win or whatever she gets, I'm I'm jazzed for because I think that's that's definitely uh, valuable. Um, in terms of uh, yeah, and then the Best Actors, I mean. Eddie Redmayne won, but like, I I can't find a single like nominee I particularly thought was that great. I think Bradley Cooper was. I actually really liked his performance in American Sniper. He's actually the only performance of the best actors that I thought was particularly good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he does this really interesting kind of uh, mumbly, monotone delivery that actually uh, counterintuitively adds nuance to the character. Because it just, he comes across as less the, uh, you know, total badass that the script wants him to be in parts or the damaged uh, human that the script wants him to be in parts. He just seems like a very nondescript, unemotional person throughout. And I think it's actually a really interesting choice to play the character that way and to not go in any sort of direction whatsoever, you know, performatively. And I think it's really effective for this kind of... American Sniper is also directorially a pretty nondescript film. And that's how why... You those are the two things that I like about it. How would you compare that performance to something like, you know, Hurt Locker with Jeremy Renner? Oh, I haven't seen The Hurt Locker since it came out. Um, I just find it interesting that you're talking about, you know, his Bradley Cooper's performance because it seems like a very different sort of thing. Because Jeremy Renner played it sort of like action hero in a way, you know, sort of a realistic yeah. action hero. Yeah, and... Cowboy. Uh, yeah, Cooper goes the exact opposite direction, which I think American Sniper would have seriously suffered if he had played the role straight, because that's exactly the way that the role The rest is. of the film is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Except for um, elements of Eastwood's direction and Cooper, the film is just complete uh, trash. But <laughs> it really complete is. Trash. And th- that's the only reason that it's not my least favorite Best Picture nominee. <laughs> Wow, um, which uh, that that would be the imitation game, which I think is uh, unredeemable. Unredeemable, the imitation yeah. game. Yeah. Um, I see. That's what's funny is that I have I have uh, I didn't love the imitation game at all. Um, I think I gave it like, but I still gave it something like an eight out of ten. I thought it was like oh. a completely. I thought it, to me eight out of ten. I know it sounds like a good score. Honestly, I just feel like it's a. Um, competent. You know, it's like well made. It, you know, it's 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 fine. It, it is what it is. It's, it's not bad or good. I know you like <laughs> genuinely hated it for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot to make fun of and a lot of questions that I have about the film. But um, uh, is that Morton Tildum? Yes. Yeah, he directed um Headhunters. Have you seen that? I have not. No. Um. He's got a he's got a distinct voice. I don't know why he was chosen for this. Headhunters is literally uh, Nikolai Kosterwaldo chasing I forget the, the the lead's name around Denmark for an entire film, just oh. a chase film. Like right. he's like trying to kill him for the whole movie. <laughs> so, um, and they said this guy this guy should take on uh, Alan Turing because that makes sense. Um, so he, as far as I know, had no experience with like war films or 
biopics. Maybe he does. Maybe he has other films before Headhunters that I'm just not. I'm not aware of. But I just. I don't know where that came from. So when I found out this is the same guy. I was like, why would? Why would you hire him for this? And when I saw how. To me, to me, the movie really feels like someone who a, a, a director with a with cool ideas and a personal vision being handed a very boilerplate boring thing and then trying to spice it up with whatever he can, but basically not much comes of it. In other words, all that weird time stuff where like there are three different storylines going at three different times, um, the weird cutaways to bad CGI of World War II for no reason. <laughs> like that's to me either stuff that was mandated to be in there or stuff that he was trying to insert to like make it a little bit less incredibly dull. Well, I think the time stuff was probably on the screenplay level. Um yeah, which maybe that's what drew him to the project. Is that element? I, yeah, I mean, who knows? It's you never know why people pick things. It's yeah. just so weird to me because I don't think Headhunters is brilliant at all. It's fine. It's not even that great, but it's just I. It's definitely more interesting than the Imitation Game. I just I don't know what happens between them. It's like a very pared down, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's also the story know. with um, James Marsh, the director of The Theory of Everything, because right. uh, he made a great film called Man on Wire a couple of years ago. Right, Man on Wire. Right, right, right. I, I love Man on Wire, and I think he actually does a genuinely okay job with The Theory of Everything. It certainly has – it is uh, much, much more pleasing to look at than The Imitation Game, for one thing. If you just, I remember seeing like the Oscar clips as they were going, and every time there was something from the Theory of Everything, I was just like, "Why? This is a really like handsomely shot film. This like this looks really good." And the Imitation Game looks terrible. <laughs> it it really does. Which is, I mean, I don't know. I think know. there should be some sort of aesthetic uh, like cutoff for <laughs> for a Best Picture nominee. I mean, I think that it should be taken into consideration more than it it probably is. Um, all the, you know, you know, Birdman aside, but like why. I said, I don't think you know, it's what, the you know what Theory of Everything looks like. It what? looks like it was shot mid nineties. Yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. If the CGI is well, it has a filmic the, look. Yeah, but Absolutely. not in a good way. Oh, not Theory of Everything. I'm sorry. Um, the Imitation Game. Oh no! Yeah. Okay. That's yes, I mean. in yeah. a bad way. I would also agree for the it, theory of everything. The, but the CGI is correspondent to the 90s. Everything's <laughs> – yeah. it doesn't make any sense it's, why, it's how that just, came out in 2014. Yeah, and it, it, it is especially a 90s movie because of its uh, fear of homosexuality, uh, mm-hmm. which I cannot believe in 2014. First of all, that they still can't make a movie which is more open about sexuality. And second of all, that uh, the Academy – would think that this movie is is any great shakes. Like, we know they've all seen Brokeback Mountain, because <laughs> that right. was up for a bunch of awards uh, a decade ago. I don't know if Academy voters can see the difference between the two films, but I don't think they can. I think both films to an Academy voter are, you know, uh, tragic gay narratives. And it's so... Like I, I, it wasn't until the imitation came came out and was nominated that that really struck me. And it's I think the same thing with just any kind of social justice movement with the Academy, um, or any kind of thing about any uh, underprivileged, disenfranchised group of people, uh, as long as it's about 
some sort of tragedy but with an inspiring message at the end. Uh, the Academy will lead it up because it will make them feel good about themselves for caring about this issue, but it will make them feel bad about the issue. Uh, I think it's I think it's even broader than that, though. I think it's just, and again, I think this is a microcosm of a, bro- a broader societal thing where, like, it's it's very easy to talk about, you know, like it's for our generation. It's like, oh yeah, Martin Luther King, he was great. <laughs> we just go on with the rest of our day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or, you know, for the previous generation to be like, yeah, man, slavery was just the worst. <laughs> you want to get some lunch? <laughs> you know what I, I think that's what it is. So it's like, it's like, yeah, Alan Turing, he should never should have been, you know, persecuted for, for being gay. Cool. All right. That's awesome. We did our, uh, our job. <laughs> and so, you know, I, well, you saw those posters for the film that were literally, that literally said the words, honor the man, honor the film, the imitation game for your consideration. Oh, my God. Did you no. see those? Those were on that, – that was an actual billboard in Los Angeles. Their oh, whole, wow. And that was their whole campaign. There were all kinds of ads that were – Like if you don't like the film, you don't like Alan Turing. Well, yeah, no. And quotes, by extension, maybe you don't like gay people. <laughs> yeah. The quotes that they put in these, uh, in these ads that were in like Variety and stuff – were literally, instead of, where there would traditionally be quotes from critics about the movie, there were quotes from, like, you know, people about Alan Turing. Like, there would be a quote from Steve Jobs about how influential Alan Turing was, and, you know, quotes from historians and stuff like that. So, it was so clear, and I think this was a Weinstein movie, it was so clear that they had completely abandoned any hope of uh, campaigning on the film's actual merits, and it seems so – I mean, th- this is kind of the subtext of a lot of these kind of movies, right, is you're voting for this film, but you're really voting, uh, you know, for the uh, – For the issue. Yeah, for the issue or for the person. But mm-hmm. to see a film so <laughs> blatantly, lit- you know, so Use literally it, yeah. uh, advertise itself that way is hilarious and, you know, disgraceful, but – I was I was just looking through my 2014 list to see if like you know was there another film that could have filled that but at least be better and yeah there is did you see Pride? No, but I heard it was good. Pride okay, Pride is not. It is much like the Imitation Game. It's not. Um, it doesn't break the mold in any sort of significant way. But it, the performances are amazing. They're so fantastic. Um, the story hasn't really been told before, but it's important and it's very recent. It's uh, as of like the 80s. Um, so it's you know it's you know it's it's really interesting as an American to watch it because it's about the formation of sort of the link between the Labour Party in England with you know social justice movements like gay rights and things like that, uh, and it's just a it's a, like a really enjoyable, funny, fun, interesting, important film that talks about a, a thing that maybe it's common knowledge in England I don't know, uh, but it's it's not common knowledge here I know that um in in the states and so i i really enjoyed pride and uh johnny reviewed it and he really enjoyed pride and it's just it seems like in every way that was more you know is this as big as alan turing was in world war ii no alan turing has plenty of movies that i'm sure are still to come that will be much better than the imitation game though i hope so i hope so i mean i just i remember before the imitation game it hit like general audiences all the like the early buzz was like it's just the most amazing thing and then i saw it and i was like why? What is? <laughs> and and so and the other thing, by the way, I just want to quickly mention this one other bit um, of uh, Morton Tildum's like uh, touch coming through just a little bit. I will say this for I, there's not a lot of visual stuff going on in that film, 
Um, but there are simple little things that I really like. There are some really cool, like this, these match cuts. Yeah, I um, thought you were going to say that, yeah. Yeah, which which I, I know I've talked to you about before, but, you know, there's a point where a cigarette is coming in and the shot, I think, is on its side. Uh, the, sh- the cigarette is coming in. Oh, no, sorry. Um, it's a torpedo, torpedo to the cigarette, right? A, to- a torpedo is coming in from a submarine, uh, you know, because what they're doing in the their office is affecting the war, right? So we see this badly CGI torpedo, but then it turns into a cigarette going into the ashtray, and then the, the camera is sort of, uh, you know, does a 90 degree turn so that we reorient ourselves in the, in the room. Uh, and then there's another shot. Uh, th- these are just two that I remember more, most specifically where the, um, the computer that he builds has all these like turning cranks or turning wheels and stuff. And they look, uh, there's a match cut with a tank and it's turning wheels and it's treads. And like that, to me, those are really cool, like little visual things that you don't necessarily get in. You don't need to do match cuts to be interesting, but they do mark an interesting, I think, a visually interesting film. Um, so I think there are little things, little like gasps of breath coming through, but I feel like the film just sort of buried whatever um, vision there might have been. And I and I will say this: Pride does not have that, but Pride is bright and colorful and interesting, and has every has all the old guard of like famous British actors and a whole bunch of new ones who are like bursting onto the scene right now. I just you know maybe it's because it's British, but people just didn't didn't go for it. I would have much preferred that. So there, so there was another one. If you're going to have to fill that, if you're, if your criteria for nominee nominations is, I want to do an issue that like matters to me. There were other movies this year, this year that would have filled that gap. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, it, it must have just been the, the advertising that got that film in and got it a lot of nominations. <laughs> It got a lot. It ended up in a lot of things. And I will I will say that – so speaking of um, uh, actor nominations and actress nominations, uh, you know, like, for example, Keira Knightley, she wasn't um, – for the first half of that movie, I didn't like her performance towards the end for some reason. It just sort of lost its luster. But in the beginning, I really liked her. Like, when she first comes in to do her, her puzzle, the um, crossword, I thought she did a great job. She was really great with him, with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, plays off him really well in the beginning. Uh, it sort of loses its its – mojo towards the end but also the film sort of loses its mind towards the end so <laughs> um so you know that's fine but you know she was she was fine so i i didn't mind that nomination so much um i knew patricia arquette was gonna win for best actress in a supporting role uh emma stone absolutely should have won because uh, i i think that whatever your views on birdman are she she gave the best performance in that whole movie yeah for sure um her her monologue she like rants at her at her dad at Michael Keaton, uh, for a, like a good. I love how both of their Oscar clips were the same scene. By the way, yeah, I that was really funny. Yeah, that was really funny, and and it's just that, but that scene is so powerful. Everything she says is so. I don't know. To me, it really resonated, and it's. I think if you're going to analyze that film or try and break it down at all, uh, starting there is a good place because it. I think it captures a lot of things. But anyway, she just delivered it brilliantly and she's i think that scene is shot with a fisheye lens or like something there's something that's almost fisheye about it and it it really i think enhances her 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 delivery and it's just very well done um and uh and just i wanted the other thing i want to say an uh, actor and actor in a supporting role i think ethan hawk could have taken it jk simmons i'm happy that he got it uh tenzin deserves all the awards yes but um i want to just speak up for Robert Duvall because 
everyone seemed to hate the judge. Oh, you're the one who saw that movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did see it. And it's not bad. I mean, I, people really did not give it a fair shake, I think. Because, really, you know, it was it looked like Oscar bait. It probably was intended to be Oscar bait. Uh, I would say that short of the last, like, 30 minutes of the film, where, like, the conclusion happens, and honestly, the conclusion, like, the story-wise, if you were to write out an outline of the story, it's fine. It actually really works. Performances are all very good, but the story works just fine. It's just, there's this whole scene, and you didn't see it? No, no. There's a whole scene where, so Robert Duvall is, uh, plays uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s father, and there's a scene where they confront each other in court because his father was the judge and now his son is a lawyer. Uh, and they confront each other in court and like all subtlety suddenly goes out the window and they literally explain the themes of what's going on. <laughs> You're like, why is this happening? If they just left that out and didn't have this like – the scene opens with a shot of Robert Downey Jr. being a jerk and then closes with the same scene but like in the future where the same thing happens but he's a nice guy now. You're like, why is that in the film? Just get rid of that, and you've made a much better movie. <laughs> um, so, like, little weird things like that just just take the film way down from where it could have been. Um, but having said all that, Robert Duvall plays, like, an aging guy who's very proud of his past, of always doing the right thing as a judge, always being a good, you know, f- trying to do what he could for his family, but, you know, being tough on them. But, you know, all all these different interesting themes... And uh, there's a scene where he's really, really, really vulnerable, um, you know, and he, he loses, if he loses control of his bowels or something, and he's in the bathroom, and he's, he's naked because he's trying to get to the bathroom, but he doesn't make it. And his son, who he's been fighting with through the whole movie, uh, you know, bursts into the room to, you know, help him because he's freaking out. And uh, it's this moment, and it's so sad and so well done, and Robert Duvall kills it in this scene i mean you've you would believe robert duvall like just lost it in this in this moment and then they sort of laugh about it in a couple of seconds when their his daughter robert johnny jr's daughter comes in to try and ask what's going on and it's just and the whole way the scene plays out tonally it's just exactly right so when i saw robert duvall was nominated i was like the the film was it was fine it, it it fell apart towards the end if anything deserved a nomination from this it's robert duvall and i'm glad i don't think he should have won per se but I'm glad he got a nod because the judge did not get a fair shake from anyone this year. Hmm. So at least it got that. Um, were you huh. were you happy with J.K. Simmons winning over Ethan Hawke? Yeah, I was because I didn't really. I think Ethan Hawke is good in Boyhood. It. Uh, I don't know. It just didn't really didn't hit me the way that that you hit me. Certainly, it, that it hit you. Certainly, you didn't hit me at any point. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, J.K. Simmons. My thing with. Uh, the Oscars, with every category, and um, in acting particularly, but every category is, and I, I, I think it was, was it William Goldman who said this in like a, a long time ago, but he said every category you can replace best with most, and that's what people are really voting for. Uh, so best acting is not the best acting, but it's the most acting, and you could definitely see that with Eddie Redmayne. Uh, because he was for sure of those five doing the most acting. And so is J.K. Simmons. But, you know, where I would normally kind of criticize that choice because it's, you know, not a very 
interesting choice, uh, or it's a very predictable choice. I think J.K. Simmons is amazing in Whiplash. Yeah, I mean, because in that role, it makes sense. And this is why I think, for example, Daniel Day-Lewis gets, you know, a lot of attention. Yeah, because absolutely. and I, like I'm not a, I'm not a huge Daniel Day Lewis fan. I'll, I mean, I'll say it. I don't. I think he he's an over actor. <laughs> he goes, you know, people are voting for his intensity. They're like, wow, he was really intense. That must have been a good performance. And I'm like, well, not if it doesn't. That's why I like his performance in Lincoln the most because he's so toned down in that film, like really toned down. And I didn't even know he could do that. I had no idea he had the capacity for that. And so that's why I like it so much. But that never was gonna win anything because he's not being intense so it can't be a good role right so i i agree in this case jk simmons character is supposed to be intense so well the other thing about his performance is that he does this really interesting thing where i want to say my heart was racing all throughout whiplash just because you know first of all it opens with that great like snare liftoff uh like building in tempo until it's just like this rapid it's and it's you know over just a black screen amazing way to open a movie and right there it's just uh, you're on the edge of your seat before the movie even starts and when he shows up on screen for a while in his first like two or three scenes he's a very nice guy um and he's a jerk in cases and that's what kind of has you on edge with him but he's doing this kind of and I've seen, I mean, I've seen this with real people. Like, I, I've known people who do this, who do this thing where they are pretending to be your best friend, and it's to keep you on edge and to kind of psych you out right. until the moment where they finally just blow up at you. That's what J.K. Simmons is doing in most of his scenes. But then there's this scene, you know, later in the film where he's, you know, being that nice guy ostensibly doing the same thing, and we're talking about the scene where he's having coffee with Andrew. Right, right, right. Um, He's ostensibly doing the same thing, but you can just tell, just in everything about what Simmons is doing, there's just this uh, shift in terms of uh, his, how genuine he's being. And even though, you know, I think, I think another actor, uh, (laughs) a less, uh, in a a worse performance, uh, it would have been harder to kind of sense that difference but in that scene it's just you can feel kind of this artifice dropping mm. um and there's there's also that great scene where he's talking about um yeah but, uh, but former student andrew? andrew falls for it though right yeah no absolutely um then i fell for it uh i fell for I pretty, much, <laughs> pretty much every time he did that um and, and there's there's also that great scene where he's talking about the former student who's passed away oh, and he seems gosh. to like he seems really vulnerable in that moment. Oh, yeah. But at that point in the movie, you're kind of like, well, clearly he's, this is all some kind of, you know, trap for his students. He's, he's, he's trying to... Well, no, I thought it was real. I, I, I mean, I honestly... And it wasn't until the end of the movie Well, that's that the question, yeah. Because, because I was like, oh, it has to be real because... Uh, and what you're saying is, what the movie's saying right now is, you know, if you stay in this, he'll drive... You know, he's... What I thought the, the 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 lie of the story was was that you know they had a great relationship and it led to him doing great things and that he killed himself out of you know some other and and so that the lie was that they didn't have a great relationship and that he psychologically tormented them and then he killed himself and it what turns I... out that's neither of those things are true <laughs> yeah 
And that's that's what got me is that I thought I'd figured it out, and I was like, oh, that's not that's not the case at all. So yeah, no, I I thought Simmons really delivered that. And just speaking of like roles that are, you know, um, I was talking earlier about you know super intense people who then do like much quieter roles. Somebody I think who should have been nominated, you know, oh, I also I think Moonrise Kingdom should have been nominated uh, in general. But I think Bruce Willis is not somebody I ever put on like high acting, uh, you know, pedestal. But he he delivered one of the most subtle and uh, interesting performances of his career in uh, in Moonrise Kingdom. Hmm. He's so you know, toned I, down, so um, huh. you know I can't believe he, you know John McClane was <laughs> playing this this very very ordinary like guy, and I just I was well, but, it's one of my favorite performances from him. I think John McClane is an ordinary guy. I think the problem with Bruce Willis is that he started out playing those roles and then his career kind of snowballed into him becoming the ridiculous over-the-top action hero um, and I, I agree I like him in Moonrise Kingdom I thought you were going to say Ray Fine should have been nominated for Grand Budapest Hotel because ah. he absolutely should have he is so good and uh, yeah another no, I think Tony who... Revolori should have been nominated I don't know about Ray Fine's really? something I it's not and it's not even that his performance was bad or that Ray Fine's isn't, act, isn't a good actor. I like him a lot. I th- much prefer his performance in Imbruge by like a margin because Imbruge is amazing and he's phenomenal in that movie. <laughs> um, but I think that what, what bothered me about his performance in uh, Grand Budapest uh, is that he doesn't match Wes Anderson's style. And really? I, oh. it irritates me. It I irritates completely me. Like, disagree. I think the it, and it has nothing to do with the script. It doesn't have anything to do with the directing. I just everyone that has thrown themselves against Wes Anderson has come out like with a cool like I was like I would never see Bruce Willis <laughs> in a Wes Anderson film. Why would that ever happen? Uh, it, but it works. It works very well. Uh, everyone who's gone through that system, Ed Norton, everyone has has done really well. I personally, the entire movie of Grand Budapest, I was like, what is it about Ray Fiennes that's just not clicking? With the script, it just does not jive for me. And the wor- and the worst part is, is that in my analysis of the film, my my personal <laughs> belief about the movie is that Ray Fiennes is supposed to be Wes Anderson, which makes the dichotomy of him not really cl- class, you know, meshing with Wes Anderson's style to feel even more um, cacophonous to me. But but that's huh. just me. And I, I mean, know a I, lot of people love. I felt like that. he that was the most Wes Andersony performance of all time. I felt like wow, this was like everything about this movie was peak. Wes Anderson and a lot of people have said that I I find that so weird to me but that's just me (laughs) what do you think is peak Wes Anderson Moonrise Kingdom that's certainly up there as as of as I I, again I I said this in the review I did of that film but it's a to me that movie literally epitomizes all the things about Wes Anderson it captures the you know the 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 children acting like adults, but still acting like children at the same time. They dialogue like adults, but acting like kids. It has uh, it, it captures almost the animated feel of of Fantastic Mr. Fox. It captures all of the um, uh, the, the the cutout toy world of uh, Life Aquatic. It has the love story from Rushmore. It has the you know all the things that like all of that's I, in Grand I, Budapest, minus the kids, I guess. Minus the kids, and I think that's a big thing. Um, although not always necessary, of course. Um, Darjeeling Limited, I really like, and there's no kids in that. Uh, well, there's a couple, but they're not main characters. Uh, but Tony Revolori sort of has that kiddish sort of role. 
Um, but I think it's that I, I don't know if to me Moonrise just like does all those things and invites you along the, the way. Grand Budapest, Grand Budapest has a lot of those things, not all of them. Uh, and to me, just is like, and as I, I don't want to reiterate everything I said, you know, when I was t- when I first wrote about that movie, but to me, it's just Wes Anderson self congratulating and talking about how he's the greatest, and I just. To, I yeah. can see that he's I, – I like – he's one of my favorite directors. I already like him. So for him to make a movie that's – to me, it feels like him romanticizing the old times, the good old times. And I'm you know, one of those people who still makes good old-time movies. And isn't that great? And isn't this just the best? I, I can see that from your – like it speaks for itself to then say that in a movie – take a whole movie to say that is just – it just didn't jive for me. And it was already done in Moonrise if you're talking about peak Wes Anderson to me, I think. Moonrise did all those things, so. Well, yeah, well, what you just said is why I think Grand Budapest is peak Wes Anderson, is because it is just completely giving himself over to his aesthetic, and that aesthetic serving such a, you know, self-centered point. Uh, But to me, that's not Wes Anderson's vibe. His vibe is, listen, this is the way I do things. If you want to come along for the ride... Please do. And basically, that's how his films have been. You either like Wes Anderson's aesthetic or you don't. And you probably won't ever change your mind because all his movies follow, you know, his general code of, like, how he shoots things, how characters act, what dialogue sounds like. And so, like, you either like Wes Anderson or you don't. And he's always been – it seemed to me he was always content with that. He was always content with the idea of, you know, I do – you know, I do Wes Anderson. And if other people like Wes Anderson, then we can all do Wes Anderson and that will be great. And this movie, to me, was, uh, I'm doing Wes Anderson. If you don't like Wes Anderson, then you're stupid because you're colorless <laughs> and boring. <laughs> and that's just like, I mean, literally, it's the, the modern time is like washed out and boring. And as you get more and more into the past, into the Grand Budapest, into his domain, it becomes more colorful and lively. And you know, Yeah. Just, no, just absolutely. Like, yeah. Um I think of course, both... the, I mean, the other way you could look at it is that the, the, the modern time is just the real world and that the Grand Budapest is just film in general. But since he is a filmmaker, it feels like he's talking about himself, not general film. So, yeah. I, yeah. No, I get what you're saying. I think we both uh, have a similar uh, kind of uh, feeling on, on Grand Budapest. I, I think I, I think I gave it like an like an eighty or something. <laughs> I thought that was fine. Like I really I like the movie a lot, and it's not it's by no means bad. Game Wes Anderson. Can't compare them like that. It's not how reviews work. I know. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, so I, I wasn't I wasn't too sad about that. The one other thing I want to say about um, for Eddie Redmayne, were you were you upset with that win? No, um, I was in the room with people who were <laughs> who <laughs> were just uh, furious. Uh, but I mean, I don't who, think it's a... who were they rooting for. No, they weren't rooting for anyone. They just hate Eddie Redmayne for some reason. Um, and <laughs> he seems like a perfectly listening. lovely guy. No, I agree. Um, he, he had a very uh, kind of charmingly Hugh Grant-ish uh, speech. But yeah, I think his, you know, it's not a particularly interesting choice. It's a very obvious choice, for, you know, that performance. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's a, a bad version of that. Of this, you know, this kind of performance, this the trope of this performance winning Oscars, uh, 
is is a lot more like offensively stereotypical. But I think Redmayne, it's a very uh, kind of you know I, I don't want to I can't say very honest performance because I don't have that personal experience and I don't want to say a real performance because I don't know how much that necessarily matters. But it's it's not a very big you know intentionally big version of this performance. It's big in that, you know, the physicality of this illness is uh, necessarily has to be very kind of extreme in the way it's depicted. But it's a very, you know, it also necessarily, the performance kind of has to be very small and subtle because for most of this movie, uh, he's whispering all his lines and then for the last third or so of the movie, he's not saying anything. He is completely immobile. Uh, So it, that's obviously not why he won. I think he won because they looked at that performance and said, "Wow, that was that must have been really hard." And I think that's that's probably more than anything why uh, a lot of performances win Oscars is because the Academy looks at them and says, "I think that's why Daniel Day Lewis wins is because the story with Daniel Day Lewis is about you know uh, his work ethic and what he puts into yeah, his yet, performances." And yet, Christian Bale with the Machinist, that poor man. <laughs> I've never felt so bad for someone <laughs> to do that to yourself and like basically be ignored. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so sad. But yeah. Um, Red May. I mean, I don't honestly, I don't care about any of the performances in best actor. I had no strong feelings about any of them. I don't think Red Main's a bad choice. I'm not upset. It's, it's not like if they gave it to S- Steve Carell who gives a genuinely ridiculous performance. Um, and it, that, that whole performance is his makeup. He's not doing anything particularly interesting except for uh, a I've kind heard of... people call that everything from like amazing and, and breathtaking and yeah, like... revolutionary to you know what you just said. So yeah, it, it's a very he's this very weirdly affected uh, rich person voice, and then he has this ridiculous nose and this kind of puffy face, and it's yeah, God, I, I that performance, and I can't believe the best performance in that movie, Channing Tatum. Not even nominated, so. Yes, yeah. well, you know, I think that was true of a lot of you know. I, I think it's telling that L.R. Coltrane didn't get anything. Um, yeah, that goes to show how they felt about Boyhood, I guess. Because I felt if they had had more love for Boyhood, there's no way he wouldn't have been nominated. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Yeah. Meanwhile, Birdman was even nominated in almost every category and then won everything, um, for the most part. Uh, speaking of, we should we should uh, do our due diligence on on the technical categories. Before we do that, animated feature film is the last I would call big category. Um, or yeah, I was going to say category. that in documentary. Um, oh, in documentary, I don't know how many. Yeah. Of the, I only saw oh, the, yeah. one of the documentaries, and I know you have an opinion on that too. Um, yeah, and of course, in animated feature films, I did my due diligence. I know this whole category. Um, <laughs> as I've, you know, as people know, animation is my favorite uh, medium when it comes to like cinema, you know? Uh, so I, I was, I was, I made sure to watch all of these movies. Um, cause I always find this category. I've always been against the category in general. I think it's stupid. I think it's a stupid category. <laughs> uh, I hate the idea that it's relegated as, I, I think this year they even said it was a genre of film. Yeah. I, I, I was, the, the way we introduced no it was like, it's a genre of, a genre of film is it now? What defines the genre? Please tell me. Um, but anyway, uh, 
not that genre is a particularly good word anyway, because it doesn't really represent anything, but uh, animated films should be split amongst the other categories. Like, either make animated drama, animated comedy, animated whatever, and you're never going to do that. So why don't you just nominate, say... Um, I mean, I guess it's like, well, what category does Box Trolls go into then? I mean, well, I mean the drama? problem is that none of these films are going to be nominated in major categories if this category doesn't exist. So I feel like this is the place where they're saying, you know, this is the place where we can bring these films to the table because... Um, right. And I think it gives voice to, to kids like, you know, I, I don't know that people would seek them out. And so, it, but to me, it's a placeholder category until animated films, not that they haven't had longer than film to make a mark and get, you know, recognition. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's this whole phenomenon of, you know, mid 20th century relegating animated films to shorts and, uh, non adult aimed entertainment, uh, that they became like the kids, you know, kids medium. And so they've been digging themselves out of this hole for half a century. And it's tough to do. Uh, and so th- I think that I think that's part of what's going on. But really, they've been around since the beginning. The f- be, you'd be hard pressed to say that the optical toys or whatever the 19th century are not animation, or at least you know proto animation. And so it's it's not like this is a new thing. They've been around forever. Stop motion, the first stop motion, uh, early 1900s. You know, the first you know animated like drawings and things. We're talking uh, e- even as far back as I believe pre 1900. So like, well, why, why is this still an issue that we can't just nominate, you know, Song of the Sea or you know, uh, the Tale of Princess Kaguya or you know, even How to Train Your Dragon or whatever in other categories? Why do they have to have their own? There's no similarity between Box Trolls and How to Train Your Dragon. That's the other thing too. This makes no sense to put these movies together, or like, how do you put Big Hero Six and Song of the Sea in the same category? There's no connection between these two films. They're not animated in the same way. They're not thematically the same. Their genre is not the same. The way that the studios, they're independent. It's just nothing makes the sense. It makes any sense. There's no link between them. Or box trolls and How to Train Your Dragon too. Like these make no sense. Yeah, I mean, I I think what it what the problem might be here um, is that. Animation as and you're the animation buff, so correct me if I'm wrong on anything I'm about to say, but I feel like the animation industry is kind of sequestered from the rest of the film industry just because of the way that production works. So you know, someone who is uh, a producer, they're going to produce films, all kinds of different films, uh, all, all you know, all different sorts, whatever. But they're never going to necessarily. Uh, stop to work on an animated film kind of in that line I feel like I just or, or you know maybe it's it's truer of just kind of lower level uh, crew people it's just it just feels like that whole world is completely separate and I think maybe there's an implication that uh, there's this kind of like that you look at the animation industry and you're like well that's a com- not only completely different medium it's just it's not even filmmaking in the same sense because uh, all they do is, you know, they, they sit at desks and draw all day or whatever. Uh, we don't understand it, but it's not filmmaking in the sense of what we do, which is filmmaking. So we'll oh, give absolutely. them their own category. But, you mean, it comes down to simple th- – I mean, it's just this, this weird language barrier we have between them. Now, 
distinguishing the media is important. You know, we're we're talking about you know animation is different than film, and that's a that's a whole philosophical thing, and also a technology thing, and things like that. And you can get into that, you know, whatever way you would like. But you know, the fact that, for example, on How to Train Your Dragon uh, and How to Train Your Dragon Two, uh, Roger Deakins was a what do they call him? A lighting like a, consultant, I think. Like a lighting consultant or a cinema, cinematographer consultant or something. Yeah. Because there's no such thing as a cinematographer in, a, in an animated film, apparently. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, okay, first of all, yes, there is. Somebody has to compose the shot, even in 2D. First of all. And second of all, it's literally 3D. And when it comes to something like box trolls or any stop motion animated film, you literally have a camera in a scene that you have to frame and light. How is that not a cinematographer? What, what are you talking about? So that's a, but they can't even call it that. Like it's not even a category for that in animation because there's this weird, like, well, we, you know, you sully the name of cinematography by giving an animated film a cinematographer. Well, it people, makes no sense. No, people literally have made that argument recently when films like Gravity and Life of Pi win Best Cinematography, where they say, oh, well, this is just, you know, the visual effects people were doing all the work. They don't understand what's that cinematography as a discipline, you know, you're, they're not just composing a shot. And, it's not and a, like, a cinematography animators... does not define a person holding a camera. Well, yeah, exactly. Although, I, if that is your your definition, then Box Trolls had a cinematographer, <laughs> or 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 really, How to Train Your Dragon Two or Big Hero Six, where there's a virtual camera someone had to position. Or, you know, when you see, like, for example, you know, Hayao Miyazaki sit down and 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 do something. I, th- I think I was watching him animate. Um, oh, maybe it was Satoshi Kon. Yeah, it was Satoshi Kon. Yeah, no, no, this was Satoshi Kon. Right? It's this amazing scene in Paprika where he's, he's talking about the scene where these two people are in a car talking about how uh, if people use dream machines and two people are using them at once, uh, they're – I'm going to get this wrong. I can't remember exactly what – but the, the, the dialogue is about between these two people talking about using dream machines, kind of like Inception. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> they're talking about how like if two people are using it, their dreams can sort of merge together and you can end up in someone else's dream. And – as he's talking about that, the camera sort of – the focus, the focal plane shifts to the outside of the car, and there's rain coming down, and the rain lands on the window, and the water droplets come together into one stream from two separate streams as it's coming down the window. And Satoshi Kon is talking about all of this. He goes, you know, I was trying to think about what I should do in this scene. and I'm like, you know what you're doing? You're doing cinematography. That's <laughs> what you're doing, and it's like, but he's drawing, so that doesn't count. What? Why? <laughs> he just spent like 20 minutes explaining to you how he framed the shot, how he intentionally changed focal planes so that he could get this very specific design choice in, and light it just you know right or whatever. How how is that not what a cinematographer does? And just to prove the point, they took one of the most famous cinematographers in the world and put them in a 3D animated world and let them be a cinematographer, and they still won't call it cinematography. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know, I, I don't know what's, what's going to be the, the film that kind of uh, really breaks into the Oscar mainstream. But, but, I, 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 I don't know. what I, don't, I mean, I'm glad that they can get nominated for animated for Best Picture now, but... Even when they can, you know, like Up, um, you know, was nominated and, and things like that. So, great, it's nominated for Best Picture. Um, 
but it still for me seems like it's in that bottom tier. Like it'll never be in that top tier just because of I don't know. I don't know what the 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 uh, the apprehension is. But getting back, that's philosophical. Getting back to this category, I saw um, three of these. So, <laughs> I you know it's this year I didn't love the slight. I didn't. Um, I think out of them, I would have been most pleased with. I I thought Big Hero Six was up there for me. Uh, I I enjoyed it. It was not perfect. Some of the scripting was just awful. Um, but overall, it was well animated. The, the characters were good. A lot of it, um, the story was solid. It was emotionally engaging. Uh, so that was fine. Uh, Box Trolls had a few few issues. I'm really glad How to Train Your Dragon too, which I don't know what happened. But clearly, they didn't campaign well enough because no, they didn't. No the one thing. was talking about it. No, that's the thing. I remember hearing many times over since the nominations came out from people in Hollywood who said uh, How to Train Your Dragon two is advertising so much that it feels distasteful. Oh. People were saying, like, How to Train Your Dragon 2 is obviously the front runner. so the amount of four-year consideration stuff that they're doing, the amount that they are pushing themselves in people's faces, feels like, you know, I think it's possible that that actually turned voters off because they were like, look, you were the front runner anyway. You didn't have to do this. It feels, like, weird, and it feels inappropriate because, you know, and disrespectful to the other nominees. So... They gave it to we know you have money. We know you have, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, it, what's funny, it's, I only said that because I haven't heard anybody talk about it. And I only heard people talk about it when it came out. They're like, it's so great. And I know me and you had a very specific pers- perspective on that film. Yeah. I think we even mentioned it in some other podcast. We definitely have. I barely um, remember what I thought of it. I barely remember that movie at all. But I remember not I remember it. bits and pieces. It's disconnected, much like the film is. Huge, <laughs> huge sections of the, mo- the, the movie just, like, suddenly jump from one to another. I, it's, just, it's just not flow right. There's a flow problem. Um, I actually spoke with someone recently who, who said uh, that uh, there was two directors on the first film, Dean Dubois and another guy. And they were the directors on Lilo and Stitch. And apparently they work really well together because one does is really good at emotional... Uh, oh, the Crudes. The guy who directed the Crudes was the other one, hmm. and so they work together well uh, because one does like really well emotional, whatever. Chris and the other Sanders. One does, Chris Sanders, and the other one does. I don't know which one's which. And the other one does structure really well. Chris Sanders is the Crudes guy. I'm just looking it up. Okay, there you go. Um, so, and the other one does like structure, and so like when you separate them, you get one movie that has like good emotion, but like structurally doesn't make any sense, and the other one does, um, you know good structure but like there's no like heart to it and i to me i think it was i don't remember what the combination was but anyway so that was that was what they described and so when i when they said that i was like oh well then maybe that's why how to train your dragon 2 just didn't didn't land for me um so yeah it just nothing about that movie really did it for me i'm glad that one didn't win because people when it came out people were talking about how great it was and i just i didn't see it yeah um I didn't see Big Hero 6. I didn't see the box trolls. I really, really liked uh, Princess Kaguya and Song of the Sea. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Song of the Sea, I mean, I, I really enjoyed that. It's not it's not perfect, and I don't like it quite as much as I like Kells, Secret of Kells, which is the, the director's previous film. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see that? No, I still haven't seen that. I want you, to now, though. You really, really should. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's incredible. And I've seen that... A, three four times that's a that's a great movie and song of the sea is like it i when I, I spoke to the director and he said that he's talked about 
how he's going to make one more like Irish centric animated film in the same sort of vibe. And that so together they'll sort of make a thematic sort of trilogy, which I think is really cool. Um, a really cool idea. And I, so in that light, I think that it absolutely can stand shoulder to shoulder with Kells. It's just that personally, I like Kells a little bit more. I didn't love Kaguya. I know we have had differences over this film. <laughs> I think there's a lot of interesting animation in it in pieces, but mostly it's fairly pedestrianly animated. Uh, I don't find a lot of the, the aesthetic, like, to me, aesthetic choice has to go beyond just, an, like, okay, so fine, we're going to do it, like, wash, you know, um, uh, woodblock paint style. But what, why? Because it's an old story about, like, fairy tale. Okay, but what else is that for? What do you, What is the aesthetic choice for? And if it's not for anything else, it's okay. You can have other things, like, going for it in the movie. But I'm not going to give you points every five seconds because, oh, we're still in the woodblock style, so it's still great. So when you do things like the the part where she's taking off her clothes as she's running through the uh, the grass, that scene is incredible. Things like that really get me going because I think they're really cool. But uh, mm-hmm. I, the whole film didn't really do it for me. And I, it wasn't as, um, to me, it's speaking of the fairy tale style, the, the thing I, I most felt about that film was, uh, to me, it's like reading the Silmarillion or reading the Bible or whatever. <laughs> These books all have that Bible feel, and this this story has that Bible feel where, like, you're giving me a list of things that happened with no interest in, like, storytelling. Like, the not to – I don't want to offend anybody, but, like, I don't find the Bible that interesting to read. <laughs> I find stories – like, when people – um, uh, you know, the, the children's illustrated Bibles where people – somebody had to literally come down – uh, come in like read the original text and then translate it into something that a kid might want to read. That's interesting to me, and I don't, I'm like an adult, but that to me is much more uh, readable, and and it feels less uh, listy or arcane. And to me, that's what Kaguya felt like. It was it it lacked the personal connection for me. I get that. No, I yeah, I totally get that. It definitely does kind of feel like a these are the things that happened to her. Uh, beginning to end. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I think, I don't know, I think I might, I might like Song of the Sea more um, because I certainly had that personal connection to it. Um, I, And yet they're both sort of that, that mythological air to them, right? So ab- Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I just think Song of the Sea, yeah, like, like you said, it's just, it, it had a, a more of a personality, more of a heart to it. While still maintaining an interesting aesthetic that I think served the story, and, and I don't know, it just flowed flowed better. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, alas, it didn't win. I don't think, you know, I, I like I said, I spoke with the director. They were all just kind of taken aback that they won. I'm sure they did some. You have to do some amount of campaigning to even get the nomination. But yeah. I don't think they were expecting it per se. And so yeah, I'm really surpri- jazzed. I remember it was a surprise that it got in. I don't remember what the fifth film was supposed to be. But I remember there was something else in the Song of the Sea. Oh, it was the Lego movie. Duh. I was going to say, how could you? <laughs> the Lego movie, clearly. <laughs> I completely, that's right. I completely yeah. forgot that was. Uh. Yeah, it's actually a surprise Song of the Sea made it because, um, well, anyway, as as uh, Tom Moore said to me, uh, the folks who made the Lego movie have plenty of money. I'm sure they'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> um, so, uh, but no, I think... Uh, uh, out of all of them, that's the biggest surprise because Leica's an established studio. DreamWorks and Disney are like shoe-ins automatically for some reason. Uh, and, and then and uh, Studio Ghibli, of course, is going to be in it. And then so it leaves um, 
Cartoon Saloon, which is the studio that made Song of the Sea, and they have been nominated before, but they're not like a regular. So I was uh, I was surprised that they took it over. But then again, Lego Movie isn't necessarily um, who made Lego Movie. Warner what Brothers. Studio is that? Right, so they're not a frequent. Well, that's the thing. Both of the major snubs from this year, this Lego Movie and Selma, were Warner Brothers films. So maybe Warner Brothers just dropped the ball with their uh, marketing in maybe 2014. They did. Maybe they're like, you know what, we'll do it next year. <laughs> yeah. What do they have coming? I don't even know. <laughs> Warner Brothers? Well, they've got a lot of superhero stuff. Yeah, well, they've got that whole slate. Of, <laughs> they were too busy working on those Justice League movies to remember to campaign. For oh, and I'm sure it'll be worth it. Year. I'm sure they'll be, like, best picture nominees for sure. Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. Get ready. <laughs> Get ready. The Academy Awards. Sweet, sweet Academy Awards. <laughs> 